Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by TSX Broadway. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Mark Zuckerberg's latest Facebook defense and the possible return of Toys R Us. But first, taxing wealth. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren yesterday endorsed the concept of a 2% tax surcharge on any American with more than $50 million in assets and a 3% surcharge on those with over a billion. Again, we're talking assets here, not income. And this comes on the heels of New York freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez suggesting a 70% marginal tax rate on those making over $10 million a year. So we'll certainly hear variations on these themes of basically eat the rich. Now, why it matters is that income inequality, not immigration, is likely to be the central policy debate of 2020, not just in terms of hand-wringing rhetoric, but in terms of actual proposals. And for Democrats who need to recapture the populist mantle, it makes all sorts of sense. And here's what I think will be the basic stump speech. They'll say, yes, unemployment is low and GDP is relatively high, but you're living paycheck to paycheck while billionaires got tax breaks. What happens when the economy turns south? In other words, steal Trump's populism out from under him and put rich donors, many of whom have been supporting Democrats, in a very precarious position. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper on this and all other sorts of stuff happening in D.C. with Axios Executive Editor Mike Allen. But first, this. Imagine watching your favorite performer live from one of the most highly trafficked corners of the United States, Times Square. Now imagine watching it against a 46-story tower that has full-building LED lighting and the highest-resolution 18,000-square-foot podium sign in Times Square. TSX Broadway is making this dream a reality. Visit tsxbroadway.com for an inside look at the future. We're joined now by Axios Executive Editor Mike Allen. So, Mike, income inequality is something we've obviously heard a lot about from, say, the Elizabeth Warrens and Bernie Sanders of the world, really going back to the financial crisis. But does D.C., either Democrats or Republicans, kind of establishment ones, really appreciate yet what a central issue it may become? This is an issue in a way it's never been in American politics. So our colleague, Alexi McCammond, had some great conversations with Democratic economists and realized that after 2016, Democrats said, we need to go after working class whites. We need to go after Trump voters. Even Bernie Sanders said identity politics is dead. But in this diverse field of early 2020 Democratic candidates, we're finding that inequality, the wealth gap is, as you say, a central issue. How does someone like Trump, who is trying to appeal, always have this populist appeal, how does he handle that? Well, this is very clever by the Democrats. And something that you pointed out to me for our piece is that the economy, if you look at the big stats, are still incredibly technically strong. So you have great jobs numbers, and yet a lot of people look around and they say, I personally am struggling. Is this really the best that it gets. And I'm seeing all these headlines that a slowdown is coming. So for Democrats who can't bash the big numbers about the economy, can't accuse Trump of tanking the economy because there's, at least in his first year, this uh, huge stock run up. But this is a way for them to say, but wait, look at the consequences of this. Look at how this uh, run up in wealth is affecting others as opposed to how it's affecting you. Does this, from your perspective, does this become mainstream Democratic Party politics or does this stay on the left wing? 
the left wing at the moment is the mainstream, right, Dan? That's what's getting all the energy. That's what's getting all the fundraising. That's getting all the coverage. We have a new sign of what a star uh, Representative uh, Ocasio-Cortez is, AOC, as she is on Twitter. So, Dan, you know how rarely senators cross over to the House side of the Capitol and House members cross over to the Senate side. Like, it's partly a pride thing. It's partly a habit thing. But they act like they would get a rash if they went over to the other body. Uh, When I was putting together Axios AM, I was looking for pictures of the Senate uh, chamber yesterday during their, their votes on the shutdown. And who do I get a picture of? But Representative Ocasio-Cortez is over on the Senate side, something you virtually never see. And all these reporters are following her. She'd been in the chamber to watch the debate, the conversation, which you have to admire. Uh, Members rarely do that. But that's a sign of that energy, excitement. You see it online. You see it with fundraising. You see it with staff hires for the 2020 campaign. That center of gravity could well move as we get toward a general election campaign with President Trump. But right now, that center of gravity is clear. That Senate debate yesterday was obviously about trying to end the shutdown, and it failed on both sides, both the proposal that was kind of the Trump proposal to reopen the government with the wall and the Democratic proposal to reopen the government without the wall funding. You told me two weeks ago, I think on this show, that you are generally very optimistic about almost everything in life, but not about the shutdown. Two weeks later, are there any slivers of hope that you see for this thing to end? You hear people saying, oh, the ice is cracking. There are new signs. You talk to people in the White House behind the scenes. They're not so sure. I can tell you what may well move it is this new news about ground stops. At LaGuardia and Philadelphia airports. Yeah, yeah. East Coast area airports. Like, unfortunately, a lot of the human impact of this shutdown has been invisible to a lot of our decision makers. Uh, One of the most memorable pieces for me was a piece on the PBS NewsHour where they showed members of the Coast Guard, Coasties as they call themselves, who were deploying to combat zones for like three months, leaving behind dependents that they didn't know how they were going to pay the rent, how they were going to put food on the table. Imagine the distraction for someone in a combat zone when they don't know whether, how, when their family is paying the bills. That's the kind of human impact that we're seeing, a a, a quote I think was in the Washington Post, little girl saying to her mother who works in the federal government, mommy, are we poor? Really sad stories like that. But so many of these people who are decision makers haven't felt it. Now they're suddenly feeling it. I I was saying to you, uh, this shutdown will end when the TSA pre lines get long, uh, because that's uh, uh, where the senators uh, feel the pain. All politics is local. And unfortunately, I think it maybe took something that really hits home for people who should have had their ear to the ground about the rest of the country for a more rapid conclusion than it was looking like when you have the White House Budget Office putting out guidance about what happens if this goes into February, what if it goes into March. Mike Allen, executive editor of Axios, thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this. TSX Broadway is a unique full building promotional platform on one of the most traffic corners in the Western Hemisphere, Times Square. Capable of serving 15 million visitors a year, TSX Broadway is designed for the world's most ambitious brands. Think digital consumer engagement capabilities, full tower exterior LED lighting, flexible retail space, and even a 669-room hotel. Learn more at tsxbroadway.com. 
Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Mark Zuckerberg, who today took to the pages of the Wall Street Journal to defend Facebook in an op-ed that clocked in at over 1,000 words. So first, this is notable because Zuckerberg usually defends Facebook and himself on Facebook. This time he just linked to the journal. Second, it's notable because Facebook's chosen line of defense won't so much be to justify behaviors, it seems, so much as to say, as Zuckerberg does, quote, people assume we do things that we don't do, end quote. He's right to a certain extent when it comes to things like selling personal information, but he's of course also missing a lot of the point, particularly when he talks about the importance of transparency and user control, as those are two things still woefully lacking on the Facebook platform. Finally, Toys R Us might be returning, seriously. The New York Post reports that a group of former Toys R Us executives have formed a new company that won a bankruptcy auction for the Toys R Us and Babies R Us brands, plus the Jeffrey the Giraffe mascot. They're also working out of the company's old Wayne, New Jersey headquarters and have been meeting with toy manufacturers. Now, to be sure, this is a long shot. Lots of those same toy manufacturers blame this very executive crew for the retailer's downfall and a lot of unpaid bills. But it does seem at least vaguely possible that Jeffrey could rise again. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great National Opposite Day, or a terrible National Opposite Day. And either way, we'll be back Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.